interesting topics to kick off your weekend. Looking at the news with an eye of faith. This is Friendly Fire with Stu Kearns on the Voice of Lincoln, 1499.3 KLIN. Good Saturday morning. It's a Friendly Fire Saturday. Stu Kearns, your host. Glad to have you along. I've been I've been having a few breaks along the way, but I want to thank Dan Alberts for uh, stepping into the gap there. Uh, Dan always finds interesting people to interview. The Milken uh, Teachers Award last week. Uh, wow, what a story of uh, a young woman who was uh, with cerebral palsy. Uh, she persevered and uh, has uh, some really really innovative ideas on how to run a classroom. And that was a really, really cool interview. So thanks to Dan. Uh, Dan is a great uh, pinch hitter there and uh, appreciate his work. Uh, be, be a Dan Alberts. Be interested in people. There are stories all around you. I'll guarantee it. And uh, we aren't curious enough. Take time to ask somebody instead of telling people stuff, which by the way, pastors do a lot. I'm trying to learn how to ask better questions. And because everyone around you has an interesting story. And uh, and Dan finds them, uh, so so there. That I want to qualify that in that sense. Be a Dan Alberts. Otherwise, eh, we can negotiate. Uh, but it is a, a good to be back with you today as summer rolls right along, and it's fun to have in studio one of my old friends, uh, who's now also well, he's authored other books, but his most recent book here is going to talk about, and that is uh, Pastor Brian Clark. How you doing, Brian? I'm fine. <laughs> and if I understood your introduction correctly, Dan has interesting guests, uh-huh. so you have not-so-interesting guests. <laughs> and now, you see, that would be an inference oh. that you drew from that. Okay. That, would be, that would be incorrect, because today I have a very interesting guest. All right. Uh, I, yeah. prom- okay. <laughs> I promise. <laughs> well, we'll see how that works out. <laughs> yes, yes. Mm. No, it'll, it'll work out great. By the way, uh, as a part of my sabbatical, I've been visiting churches. I love to see what's happening in Lincoln. There, we, uh, uh, Pastor Keith always uh, prays for the churches that name the name of Christ and hope in his cross. It's a pretty broad category. but uh, and, and your church is always on that list. And it was, it was fun to be there. It was fun to have you. Yeah. Yeah, we pray for Zion and yeah. other churches in town. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, it's 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 kind of uh well, uh, I think it's the way it should be, but it's a it's a good partnership and a kind of a team spirit. Yeah. You know, one of the things by the way, uh Brian is a very large church. Uh that's pretty common knowledge, but uh in my experience uh coming there, you know, and I've visited really small churches and your church is the largest. And a lot in, in between. But I, I have come to the conclusion size has nothing to do with the friendliness of the congregation. Uh, because I received a very, very uh, friendly, intentional greeting when I came to your church. And, uh, and all churches aren't that way. So uh, what, who, who makes that happen? Well, uh, <laughs> that's good to hear. Yeah. I mean, I think you, you have to work hard to create a culture. And big churches and small churches, they're different. I don't see one as better and or more mm. than or less than. Yeah. But they're different. Smaller has challenges. Larger has challenger, challenges. But I think it's up to the leadership to create a culture that, for us, that hopefully anybody can walk through the door and feel safe and comfortable. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and feel like we're happy they're there. Yeah, and and that mission accomplished. That was good. Yeah, one little it. one little critique. I know this is sounds going to be sound kind of rough here, but uh, I I couldn't find the bathroom right away. And you know, <laughs> if you're a if you're a man uh, my age, that's yeah. an essential thing. 
And so mm-hmm. I, I had to actually ask somebody, yeah, where are they? And they very quickly told me, yeah, we'll so. work on that bathroom monitors bathroom or signage. something. Yes, yeah. signage. Yeah, yeah, we could probably do better with I that. I bet if there are people roaming the hallways who just look for people who have that look, yeah, you know, yeah, and they just kind of, yeah, know. we'll work on that. Okay, that's good. Old, I mean, old, old guy stuff. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm becoming an expert in old guy stuff. Yeah, me too. The uh, and by the way, since the last time you're on here, your title has shifted. Uh, at Lincoln Berean, and you are now? Yeah, so my new title is Senior Pastor Emeritus. Mm-hmm. So basically that's a fancy word for saying I'm I'm no longer officially the lead pastor, senior mm-hmm. pastor. Um, and that was primarily driven by me. And uh, I, I think we reach a point where we don't have the energy, the vision we once had. Mm-hmm. And it's good to turn leadership over to younger leaders and, and turn them loose to lead. Mm-hmm. So we went through a process of transition. So the emeritus is kind of a honorary title. I'm full-time. My wife would say probably working more hours now than before. <laughs> but part of that is because I've been set free to chase some things I've always wanted to be able to do. Yeah. So it's a great season. I'm really enjoying it. Uh, the new leadership I think is doing a great job. So I'm there a few more years and uh, part of the staff. I, I don't run anything. Mm. I'm not involved in any of those conversations. I'm still on the preaching team. I do a lot of pastoral ministry mm. and then opportunity to, to try some new things. And, and writing the book was one of those. Oh, that's so great. Yeah. And we'll get to the book here in just a minute. The, uh, uh, I know you enjoy the the preaching, and that's one of your strengths. Uh, how much of the time? How often are you preaching then? Oh, probably a third of the time. Okay. Uh, the, we have a preaching team, and it's primarily three of us. Mm-hmm. So probably roughly a third of the time. Yeah. When I was there, it was Vacation Bible School Week, which, by the way, I hit several churches on Vacation Bible School Week. But I, I will say this: your stage was the most elaborate of that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, did you help them? Uh, tell them. Tell them about the uh, very unique uh, uh, staging uh, that that uh, they they your team set up. Well, they do a great job with VBS, and it's it's a it's a thousand kids and then workers. So it's a big deal. Yep. And all over the building, there's stuff set up on the stage. What was there? A Volkswagen Beetle. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I restored a Volkswagen Beetle. This See, one I wondered right away if that off. was the one you restored. No. But it's not. It's just a year off from the one I did. Okay. What else was on the stage? I don't even oh, remember. Oh, a bunch of road signs and everything yeah. like that. Yeah. And, um, but, it was, but it was just, it was, you could tell, we're ready for fun. Yeah. And it was the same thing with the other churches I went to with a VBS week. It's like, hey, kids. Yeah. We're going to lock it in and have a great week. And yeah. so to see that auditorium full of kids excited about worshiping Jesus, that's, that's an amazing thing. The other thing I love about VBS week is we have so many amazing people that give up a week mm. to be there every day. Some of them take vacation, yeah. you know, vacations pretty precious yeah. and they'll give up a week of vacation to serve in vacation Bible school. That. That to me is amazing. That is something. Mm-hmm. You know, when I every time Vacation Bible School hits, I think back to my own experience and how it was very formative. I mean, this was one of the first time. I mean, it, this was like it's church, but it's pure fun. But it's Bible stories, but it's also pure fun. Yeah. And uh, and by the way, it was the first time I ever realized that the pastor 
my the pastor of my church used to wear a black robe, and then he'd wear sh- shorts. You know, to, what the pastor wears sandals oh and my. shorts. Yes, that was that was you know mind bending. Yeah. Wait, do you remember uh, your uh, early VBS days? Well, I I do remember it as a kid. I don't remember any shorts and sandals <laughs> images, but uh, yeah, uh, summer camp yeah. and VBS both were very impactful, With- and we still see that as being very impactful. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's just something about getting away from things. Yeah. Well, we're almost done with the first segment here, but as we think about, let's transition to this book. And the title of the book is God's Not Like That. Uh, tell me about the title. So the title basically comes from a conversation I had with a young man several years ago whose baby died. And in the midst of that conversation, he said... I know why my baby died. My baby died because God is punishing me mm. because of my sins in my past. Mm. And my response was, you know, God's not like that. Mm. So it's the core of what the book's about, how your family of origin, the family you grew up in, impacts your view of God. And as long as your view of God is messed up, you stand no chance really of experiencing the the life that Jesus wants you to experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, let's unpack that today. We're going to, by the way, I love the theme. I love, uh, I've only started to read it, uh, but uh, I've enjoyed what I've read so far. So uh, let's dig into some of those themes today. How does that sound? That sounds great. All right, let's do it. It's a Friendly Fire Saturday, talking today uh, with uh, Brian Clark. He is the uh, Senior Pastor Emeritus. Oh, yes. New title at uh, Lincoln Berean Church. If you don't know where Lincoln Berean is, well, you got your head in the sand, but I'll help you out. It's at 70th and Highway 2 or 70th and Nebraska Parkway, I guess we would oh, say now. Yeah, that, that's right. It's 70th Can't and, get used to that. 70th and Nebraska Parkway. Uh, and there is plenty of parking, and they are friendly. I am here to tell you as a firsthand witness. It's a friendly fire Saturday here on The Voice of Lincoln, 1499.3 KLIN. Keeping the topics lively. The conversation civil. This is Friendly Fire with Stu Kurtz on the Voice of Lincoln, fourteen hundred and ninety-nine three KLIN. We are back. It's Friendly Fire Saturday, talking with uh, Brian Clark. He's a uh, pastor at Lincoln Berean, and um, Brian wrote a book called "God's Not Like That," and uh, uh, the basic theme being that uh, the family of origin that we grow up in uh, gives us a filter by which we see God or, or don't see God, it kind of shapes and misshapes the way that we think about God as opposed to uh, the, the, word, the Bible, the Word of God shaping the way we think of God. And one of the things that you uh, get into uh, in the book, or one of the core ideas of the book, is that our, we're shaped a lot by our families. Uh, just tell the listeners a little bit about your family and, and how uh, maybe a couple of the ways in which your life experiences growing up kind of shaped your understanding of God. Yeah. So I grew up here in Lincoln, right now my Lincoln High. Uh, my parents uh, were Christians, uh, wonderful parents, but a unique environment. My dad was bedridden, uh, was an invalid. Probably about the time I was two or three, he was confined to a bed. I don't actually ever remember him out of bed. Mm. But it wasn't just being bedridden. He was in excruciating pain 24 hours a day, seven days a week for 22 years. So he had rheumatoid arthritis and a lot of complications with that. So each of his joints would twist and curl back and things would break. And 
the last thing that twisted was his head mm. and his neck until that killed him. So you can imagine, I mean, watching suffering for a year or two is really, really hard. For 22 years is really hard. Mm. And my mom slept on a couch next to his bed for 22 years and got up multiple times every night and took care of him. So that was the environment I grew up in. My parents were both very positive. My dad was a very positive person, uh, was a musician, was the head of the music department for Back to the Bible, uh, continued to write music through his illness. In the 70s, he wrote the theme song to the Billy Graham Crusades called Nothing is Impossible. Uh, but I would say it wasn't really until Patty and I got married and we started having children, that it really started to sink in that what I had experienced growing up wasn't really normal. Like our whole life was in a couple of rooms of the house, mm. never went went for a walk with my dad, never threw a ball with my dad, never ate in a restaurant with my dad, uh, dad or mom for the most part, because she was his full-time caregiver. So I started to have kids and the sit on my lap and I'd go for walks and play with them, toss a ball. And mm. and it started to sink in that, that that was normal and what I'd grown up with wasn't. Mm. I was actually a pastor in Broken Bow, right in the center of the state. And I was preaching on Sunday about the goodness and kindness and compassion of God. And then I'd come home and think, I'm not sure I believe that. Because at that point, most of my life didn't line up with that, didn't seem to make sense. It's like, how do I find the love and the kindness and the compassion of God in the midst of the suffering I grew up with? Mm -hmm. So that was a huge impact uh, on me of trying to understand who is God and is he really good and kind and compassionate? And how do I, how do I make sense of that? So I think that that had a strong influence in my spiritual journey. I ended up really recognizing that I'd, I'm never going to get answers to my questions. Hmm. Um, rather, an act of surrender is surrendering the need to have answers and hmm. for everything to make sense and choose to believe as an act of my will that God is who he says he is that he is good and kind and loving. And I simply choose by faith to believe that's true. And here I am today, I'm 64 years old, and I would say absolutely I believe that, that God is good and kind and compassionate and caring, but I still don't have answers to those questions and I still don't understand why it had to be that way. And as a pastor, I I talk with people all the time that have the same questions. They're they're trying to figure out why, why does this have to happen and why can't it be different? And it's, mm -hmm. it's part of life in a fallen world, but really there are no answers to most of those questions. That's, that's where we trust God by faith. The other one I identified is years ago, I was working on a series, preaching series on prayer. And I started to struggle with the reality. I, I'm not sure I believe this. And I began to kind of look back at my past. And it's the first time I connected the dots with the fact that as a child growing up, 
night after night, I would beg God to do something to make the pain stop. Mm. And it didn't stop. It just got worse and worse and worse until it finally killed him. And so somewhere along the way, I concluded prayer doesn't work. It's just a big waste of time because mm. it doesn't change anything. And so even as an adult, as a pastor, I realized prayer is hard for me mm. because there's a part of me that still struggles with if prayer doesn't really change anything, what what's the point of that? Now, I, I would say I know better than that. Mm. I know that prayer changes things, and I know that God hears me, and I know it needs to be a very important part of my relationship with Jesus. But some of these things linger in our subconscious and we don't really realize this is what I think about God. It's just buried deep inside. And once I identified that, I was able to look at it and realize I, I know that's not true and correct my view. Mm. But uh, these things, they're, they're subtle and they they linger in our lives if we don't deal with them. Yeah. And a lot of, it takes some courage to deal with them too, because I mean, especially for lifelong Christians, we know the answer in advance. And so we, 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 we feel like a bad Christian. If we ask the question, um, uh, like there's something defective already from the start. Uh, the, if I, if I actually have the, uh, the courage to say, I don't get it. I don't understand. And I, in fact, I don't like it. Um, did you, as you read the scriptures, I mean, you've, you've studied the Bible your whole life. Do you see people talking that way in the Bible? Kind of speaking to God in, in, in tough terms? Yeah, it's common. It's common in the Psalms. It's, it's common in a, a lot of biblical texts that people are confused People wonder, why does it have to be this way? Why does it seem like the wicked prosper and the righteous struggle? You know, Psalm 73 is probably one of the best examples of that. It opens with, I know God is good, but. Hmm. And then he goes through a list of why does it seem like the wicked prosper and they get away with everything and the righteous suffer. And it's like it all seems pretty mixed up hmm. and... Uh, so it feels like the Bible's really honest with some of these hard questions. The other one I, I think's interesting is in terms of the first, like the oldest book of the Bible, mm. probably isn't Genesis, it's Job. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting. God's first communication was the book of Job. And the message really is, I'm God and you're not. Yeah. And sometimes life's not going to make any sense and you yeah. just have to trust me. Yeah. It's like, think about that. That's the first thing God chose to communicate. Yeah. But it's life in a fallen world. That's that's just part of it. Yeah. It's it's interesting, too, the book of Job, uh, his, his, his uh, friends uh, do their best when they're silent. Yeah. <laughs> it's when, yeah. they, when they speak up. There's there is something about our job where we oftentimes feel like I gotta say something, I gotta find the words, and uh, and I guess I the you know it's only taken me three decades to realize <laughs> that a lot of times all people need is just a hug, and uh, uh, and maybe an I love you and I'm praying for you, and because uh, there really isn't anything 
yeah. necessarily to say. No, I, yeah, you're right. I I feel like growing up, I just wanted somebody to say from the pulpit that sometimes life really stinks mm. and it's really hard, but it's like nobody would say that. Mm. And I think people that offer simple bumper sticker kind of slogans are people that have never really suffered. They've never really gone through it. They don't realize how hurtful mm-hmm. those kind of shallow responses are. So I, I think it's been helpful having come up through that to 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 be able to say I I don't know. I don't have those answers. I can I can love on people and walk with them. But I don't have the answer to those difficult questions and it, neither does anybody else. Yeah. That's part of the faith walk. Yeah, yeah. Let's take another break here. When we come back, we'll get into a couple of the chapter titles and some of the themes that you you uh, deal with. And one of them uh, caught my eye right away is uh, struggling with the church. It's like, I like, as I've said lately, I, I like Jesus, but I'm not crazy about his wife. And uh, <laughs> and so uh, let's let's dig into some of these chapter titles. Sound good? Sounds good. All right. It's a Friendly Fire Saturday talking with uh, Pastor Brian Clark. Glad to have you along. Freshen up the coffee. Uh, we're just getting going here on a Friendly Fire Saturday on The Voice of Lincoln, 1499.3 KLIN. Interesting topics to kick off your weekend. Looking at the news with an eye of faith. Friendly Fire with Stu Kearns, 1499.3 KLIN. We are back. It's Friendly Fire Saturday talking with uh, Pastor Brian Clark, and he has written a book called God's Not Like That. And uh, we will get into some of the other chapters and topics and so forth. But uh, if, if I'm thinking about, I've been listening so far, and I'm saying, well, okay, there's some interesting themes there. But uh, why, uh, what drove you to write the book? And what would make someone, what do you want to tell someone who is listening today saying, maybe I should read that? Yeah, so I'm in a season of life where the phrase I repeat most often is, I just want to help people. Mm kind of where I'm at. I've been a pastor 40 years. Hmm. And I would say one of the most common conversations I have with people, it comes down to they struggle in their Christian walk because they have a messed up view of God. Hmm. And I would suggest more Christians cultivate their view of God based on the circumstances of life than the pages of scripture. Hmm. And that can end up with a pretty messed up view of God. So if if you come in and we're talking and I say to you, uh, Stu, I think you have a messed up view of God. That's a little bit like going to the doctor and the doctor says, well, I, I think you're sick. Hmm. That doesn't really help me. <laughs> it's like, okay, now now what? Yeah. How do I sort this out? And so over the years, that's always been the frustration is how do you walk through some sort of a process and sort this out? My belief would be, and this is the case I make early in the book, that the purpose for the family is basically to pass God on from generation to generation. Hmm. So he's made the family to function that way. So for all of our uh, listeners, it's not... If you learned something about God in your family of origin, it's you did learn something about God because God made the family to function that way. Mm. The big question is, what did you learn? 
So it's a beautiful thing when it's done correctly and what what kids learn about God is right and accurate. Uh, but it can get really confusing when when what's learned at home is uh, does not rightly reflect God and who he is. Yeah. And so then you grow up with a view of God that's that's really messed up. So uh, a couple of months ago, I was talking to a, a pastor. I was with a group of pastors. And he said something about reading through the Old Testament. And he used used to read through the Old Testament and see God as just an angry, judgmental God. But as time has passed, he starts to see more and more the grace and the patience and the forgiveness of God in the Old Testament. So I ask him the question, why do you think you saw God as so angry and judgmental in the Old Testament? And he didn't hesitate a moment. He said, because my dad was that way. Mm. He says, God was like my dad. I have those conversations with people all the time. Mm. So the purpose of the book is to walk people through a very practical process of sorting out what they experienced in their family of origin. So whether that's a two-parent family, a single-parent family, whether you grew up in foster home or an orphanage, uh, whether a parent died, uh, I mean, I say in the book, everybody was raised somewhere by someone, Mm -hmm. and that environment impacted how you view God. So the book is intended to walk through a process to sort out what was my experience and how might that have shaped my view of God? And are there things I need to correct to have a more uh, a more correct view of God in order to really experience the abundant life that Jesus promised? Mm. So hopefully that's it's going to help people with that. Now, I noticed that uh, it is a... Again, it's very readable. It's very practical. Uh, one of the things at the end of each chapter, then there are there's kind of a, a follow-up that you can do. And uh, not every book is that way, but you, you can tell that it, it's not a workbook. It's a book, but it has these, these added elements to it. Was that your idea? Yeah, it was. It's not speed reading. <laughs> so with each chapter, there's thought questions just to stir the pot a bit. And then there's a journal page mm-hmm. uh, and some questions questions to guide conclusions and then at the end you can put those conclusions together so hopefully it it is very practical and not just a bunch of of theological talk but it it actually helps people work through the process yeah now as you uh as you're talking about again fathers and mothers first family they shape us a lot what are what are maybe one or two of the big themes uh, that you hear from people that you address in the book as it relates to either fathers or mothers or just parents in general so it's as subtle as values so for example uh, maybe parents believe in God and maybe they show up at a church service once a month once every couple months But primarily their attention, their focus is elsewhere, and and God's not a big part of life at home. There's a pretty clear message that God's important, but he's not that important. And there are certainly other things in life that are necessary to be happy. So then those kids grow up and don't want anything to do at the church, and the parents are surprised. It's like, well, that's what you taught them. You taught them God's not really that important. 
Mm. You know, it's not some legalistic thing where you, you have to walk through the doors every week of church to be a spiritual person. It's mm. just a practical reality that what you value uh, is what you focus on. Uh, two practical areas there would be time and money. Mm. What you do with your time, what you do with your money sends a pretty clear message to your kids. Mm-hmm. So it could be something like that. I think the Bible is also really clear that God has established it roles at home. So if you think of it like a play and there's assigned roles in order to depict different parts of God's character. So the role of the husband, the role of the wife, picture the beautiful love relationship between Christ and his church. So if it's a good marriage and and my mom and dad really love each other. That's that's pretty appealing. Mm. If it's not such a good marriage, then it's not appealing. Mm. Uh, so I may have, I may have feelings about the church. Feel like the church is rigid or it's controlling or whatever, but not really realize some of that's been projected on to Jesus and his church because of what I witnessed in my parents' marriage that was not not very attractive to me. Mm. So people don't necessarily connect the dots. You know, you, you mentioned it before the break. Uh, people can say, you know, I, I love Jesus, but I'm not, not too crazy about his bride. But that'd be like you saying, you know, Brian, I really like you, but I don't like your wife. It's like, it's probably not going to work too well. I mean, I... <laughs> I love her. So that's part of the deal. So this idea that you can love Jesus but reject his bride really isn't a biblical concept at all. Yeah. But rather than just fight it, it's like, well, why? Why do you feel that way? what's, What's transpired to cause you to have these these negative feelings? And it could be other things. People get hurt in churches and mm-hmm. things happen that we wish didn't happen. Uh, same, I think there's a biblical role of father and mother. Uh, probably the most common wound I see is a father wound mm. uh, that happens in lots of different ways that gets projected onto God. So God calls himself a father. So if your earthly father, if that relationship was not very positive, the thought of a heavenly father, it's not a very inviting thought Uh, I think God identifies the role of a mother as a nurturer in order to introduce children to the nurturing side of God so like when the bottom falls out of your world do you find refuge in God do you seek after God is that where you find your comfort Mm. well if you had a mom like that the answer is probably yes Mm. but if you didn't it may be difficult to to find refuge in God because of what's been projected onto God. Yeah, yeah. We're going to take one last break. When we come back, we'll explore uh, a few more of those themes. And, uh, boy, praise God that uh, both of us had uh, parents where we learned a lot of positive things from. (laughs) They weren't perfect, but uh, but we had a, 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 a lot to build on. Uh, it's a Friendly Fire Saturday here on The Voice of Lincoln, 1499.3 KLIN. 
bringing you local voices to break down the news of the week. Friendly Fire with Stu Kurds on the voice of Lincoln, 1499.3 KLIN. Welcome back. It's Friendly Fire Saturday talking with Pastor Brian Clark. Uh, he is the uh, uh, Senior Pastor Emeritus. Got to get that right here at uh, Lincoln Berean at uh, 70th and uh, Nebraska Parkway. And the book is entitled God's Not Like That. Uh, and Brian, it is, I, I started, got you started there, but it is the time of the program where we always do a shameless plug. So please, mm. uh, plug away. Well, the easiest place to get it would be Amazon. Okay. So, uh, just jump on Amazon, get it. You can also get it from us at the church, but Amazon's probably your easiest, easiest way to get a hold of it. Very good. Very good. And by the way, as long as we're shamelessly plugging, uh, what time are the services at? Uh, oh wow, yeah, Saturday. We, so we have a Saturday service, seven o'clock, Sunday morning at nine, and at ten forty-five. All right. Yeah, and uh, there is a place for you, and they will be. By the way, is the uh, does the Saturday night service take a hit during Husker football? It takes a big hit. <laughs> yeah, it actually holds up pretty well in the summer. Yeah, but yep. it definitely takes a hit in the fall. Well, you know. We hang uh, in there. Thankfully, there hasn't been much to miss lately, so <laughs> well, we hope that changes soon. Yeah, well, yeah. you know, and it people that normally attend Saturday can come Sunday, so it, it does present options. Absolutely. And I think that's helpful for busy people. All three services pretty much identical? Identical, yep. Yeah, that's great. And uh, and if you're fortunate like me, Brian will be preaching. If you're If it's one of the other two... I'm sure they're fine too. They do a great job. I'm sure they do. The uh, okay, back to the book here. Um, this uh, okay, family of origin again, moms and dads. I don't know. Do you have any thoughts about how our siblings shape us or, or birth order or anything like that? I noticed in the book you mentioned that you're a second born. Yeah, I'm a middle child. Yeah, the, the middle, troubled middle child. Oh, the troubled middle child. Mm-hmm. I'm a third child. We're like the afterthought. Like I don't know, whatever. He'll be fine. The, uh, the all the. What does that did that impact you as you reflect on your own experience or as you talk with people that uh, uh, the the role that siblings play? I think it does matter. I don't really get into that much in the book. I'm trying to stick to texts that I think specifically identify ways God yeah. wants to be pictured at home. Yeah. Uh, but I do think those things matter. Yeah, yeah. Now speaking of texts. Uh, I, I, obviously you're, you deal with some with, uh, the whole Genesis text and male and female, he created them and so forth. And, uh, so what are some of the other texts that really, uh, for the, for the listeners out there, the Bible's such a big book and I don't know where to start. And, uh, so, uh, so Genesis one and two, the story of creation gives some images there of how the family is, was created by God. Any other places in the Bible that are just, Boy, if I'm not sure where to look, here's a couple of other places you really ought to to uh, to key in on to understand who God is better. Oh, to understand who God or, is, or how better. family works, or, or yeah. relationships work. Or anything so like I think that. once you identify from Genesis one and two the purpose of the family, then you start to see it all through the Old Testament, especially with Passover and you know some of those passages like when. God initiates Passover with the Jews. The text specifically says, do this at home. And when your children ask, why do we do this? Mm. And the father explains. So it's passing God on from generation to generation. You see it when Mm -hmm. 
uh, the nation of Israel crosses Jericho and they're instructed to set up a monument. Mm. And the text specifically says, when the children ask, what does that monument mean? Mm. Then the parents explain, this is how God was faithful to us. So you start to see that. You see it in Deuteronomy where it talks about basically in the DNA, in the water, in the air we breathe, that, that it's about it's about God and God's faithfulness and God's goodness so that each generation doesn't lose sight of how God has been faithful. Uh so you, you can kind of track it all the way through. You get the New Testament, like Ephesians 5, where the husband is to picture the selfless love of Christ and, and the wife is to picture the response of the church to the love of Christ. Mm-hmm. You have texts that talk about uh, the nurturing side of God. You have like Hebrews 12 that talks about the disciplining side of God. So mm-hmm. it, it's actually, there's there's quite a few biblical texts they're pretty clear that this is how God wants to be pictured at home. Mm. I also have a whole chapter on grace, mm. uh, which is such a big issue in a performance-based culture. Mm. So I start out with the story of the prodigal son, and uh, God pictures himself as a loving, welcoming, forgiving father, uh, and is that really how we view God and then go into very subtle ways at home that 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 we can teach our kids things that are contrary to grace so we teach them a performance based value system that I get my significance and value by how well I perform and how how you know that goes all the way into adulthood how much money I make, what kind of a car I drive, what my title is, what my career is. I mean, that, that that's the stuff that defines us, whether we're primarily shaped by externals or by the internal presence of Christ and his Holy Spirit within us. So there's a, there's a lot about that. Yeah. By the way, I, as I reflect on my parents, both of them, I would say, modeled grace wonderfully. I mean, they're, they're very loving and accepting, both of them. And yet, I still, being a part of American culture, feel that kind of performance pressure. And it, and it wasn't from my parents. Uh, I, but I, is, is there something just kind of in the air that we breathe, again, as Americans, that kind of brings us out in us? Yeah, I, I think it's the default system hmm. in American culture. So unless you understand grace and are making a very intentional decision— to live contrary, then performance is the default mode. It's mm. it's what we learn in school. It's what we learn in sports. It's what we learn in pretty much every area of life. Um, and it it can be easily reinforced by parents over and over again at home, which mm. just confirms with their kids that that must be how God views us. So that's mm-hmm. what drives religion. We're just relentlessly driven to somehow keep God happy so he doesn't whack us or something bad doesn't happen. And it, and it all comes down to a really messed up view of God, you know, back to the title of the book. God's not like that. Yeah. He's not like that at all. Yeah. In fact, the proof, uh, two minutes left here, but uh, toward the end of the book, I noticed the, uh, again, there's a turn toward the cross. And as we look for the proof of God's, okay, does God really love me? There is one historical event, which gives the, the, 
the greatest proof that could possibly be offered. Uh, how does how does the cross of Christ figure into this uh, uh, this ultimate answer of God's goodness? Well, I'll, I'll say it this way. Obviously, that's that's centered to our faith. But in the book, I end the chapter on grace, which is toward the end of the book, describing how God does view you if you're in Christ. If you've trusted Jesus as Savior, it's not how he might view you. It is how he does view you. Mm. I've already had a couple texts from people that said they were in tears at the end of that chapter. Mm. So it's like if, if you don't have a correct view of God, you have no idea how God views you. Uh, and and so then your your Christian life reflects a, a messed up view of God. One one other thing I want to add to, I'll do it quickly, and that is over and over again in the book, there is an encouragement that if we cultivate a right view of God, it should result in a compassion and a kindness and a forgiveness to our parents if they didn't do things so well. So like, if I'm just going to get angry and blame and criticize, then I still have a messed up view of God. Yeah. It should actually make life better with your parents than create more conflict. Absolutely. Amen to that. And uh, I, I hope that our children can give us that same kind of grace. Yeah, we all make mistakes. Yes, we do. Thank you so much for taking time to come in today, Brian. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. The book is called God's Not Like That, and it's available on Amazon, and I would highly recommend it. Um, I leave you saying, as I always do, to think about it and talk about it. We'll see you next week.